Scripture reading this morning will come from John 14, 1 through 6. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want us to jump right in because we've got a lot to cover. Uh, if, you, if you weren't with us uh, last week for the introduction, that's okay. If you've got your Bible, you're going to be uh, just where you need to be. So open your Bible to page one. Kind of always wanted to say that. Um, open your Bible to page one, Genesis 1 1. That's where we're, we're going to start. I want us to dive right in because we've got some really big themes to cover, uh, some events, some concepts. We've been hearing about these, studying about these for, for centuries, for years and years. And what we see, and I put this at the top of your study guide, we're going to learn about this earthly dilemma which begs for a heavenly solution. And we see this over and over again. But if you're taking notes, we're going to open with this. God creates and it's all good. We see that as you walk through the opening words of Genesis, God creates and he would look at his creation and his summary, his review uh, his grade was to say it's all good. Each day he would open doing something and then make that uh, statement. And Genesis 1.1, uh, it opens like this. If you see there in your Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And especially, you may have already done this, but if you'll underline your Bible, in the beginning, God. Those four words are key. Because what we see here is the main person, the main character, the main entity you need to know about is God. It's, a, it's about Him. All creation and life flows out of Him. As the curtain rises, as the book opens, God is in the first chapter, in the first verse. And that's not by accident. When there's nothing, where there's nothing, God speaks. And all this comes about. Now, if you can believe the first line of the Bible, the rest of it should be no problem. If you can believe this first line, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything else should be a no-brainer. I mean, why should it be a struggle for you to believe that God could create a fish and Jonah could be in that fish for three days? Why would it be a challenge for you to believe that God could put Daniel in the lion's den and him to be unscathed? Why would it be a challenge if God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth, this same God can bring the dead back to life? I want you to notice in Genesis chapter 1, the, the word that we have in our Bible, creation, means to bring into existence something from nothing. God creates, and it's all good. I think it's neat as, as we see this. Um, but look in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, kind of skipping ahead a little bit. God said, let us make mankind in our image. 
Again, if you like to write or, or circle or, or make comments in your Bible, I think that, that can be of help. You might want to circle two words, us and our. If you don't know this, you need to learn it now, what the significance of that. God doesn't say, let me make man in my image. He said, let us make man in our image. So here at the creation, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Working together. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So man is in a unique creation, unlike any other of God's created beings. He's different than the animals. He's different than the mountains. He's different than the plant life. Man, mankind, is special. Our purpose is to reflect the image of God, to glorify God, to worship Him with our life. Now, there are many brilliant people who believe in the creation by God. And there are many brilliant people who believe in evolution. And they don't give God any credit for it. But one of the many reasons I believe in Genesis 1 is because of what is there. And what it says. And why I don't believe in evolution. It tells us very clearly that God says He's the one who created life. He's the one who created everything in it. He's the one who created this man and this woman. He tells us how He went about it. And one of the problems I have among many with evolution is that there's no explanation of how something came from nothing. And it's also what's so key to me is it never changes. Moses wrote these words thousands of years ago through inspiration. And the story hasn't changed. God created in the beginning. A little girl asked her mommy, how did this whole world start? And the mother said, well, God first made man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, and they were made in his own image and they had their own children. And, and that's how mankind came to be. And so the little girl said, okay. Well, then she asked her dad a couple of days later, Dad, how did mankind come to be? And the dad wasn't thinking too much. He said, well, honey, you know, many years ago, there were monkeys that were all around and mankind kind of evolved from the monkeys and then we've got people today. Well, this confused this little five-year-old. So she went back to her mommy and said, Mommy, I'm confused. She said, you said God created us and Dad said we came from monkeys. Which one is it? You've heard this already. The mom said, well, let me explain it to you this way. It's very simple. I was talking about my side of the family. Your dad was talking about his side of the family. The intent and the explanation of the theory of evolution versus the concept of divine, a divine being creating the world, those two things are in such stark contrast. But to me, I want you to get this. I mean, we could do lesson after lesson of just this concept, but I want you to get this. One says you're here by accident. The other says you're here for a purpose, for a reason. You were created by God. The Bible tells us you were created in His image. No other creature is made in God's image. The Bible indicates that we were designed to have a special relationship with Him. We are loved by our Creator in a way that supersedes the mountains and the plant life and all the other animals. We are to have a special relationship with God. And He identifies with us through Jesus Christ. He feels for us. He has pain when we're in pain. He knows our struggle. He knows our sorrow. He rejoices in our victories. And I believe He intervenes in our lives in response to prayer.
The Bible says God created Adam. Now, as you envision this, maybe your mind goes back to some picture that you saw in a children's book once upon a time. But ladies, how do you think, how do you envision Adam looking like? I imagine, I'm guessing maybe it's more like David Beckham than it is Danny DeVito in your mind. But how do you picture him? What did he look like? Or, or, or guys, how do you picture Eve? What did she look like? One preacher asked some college students, three guys, what she looked like. And, and very quickly, one of them said, Carrie Underwood. She, she looked like Carrie Underwood. He said, oh, that's interesting. Another one said, Aaron Andrews. Well, this preacher, he's about my age. He said, well, what about Jennifer Lopez? Might she have looked like Jennifer Lopez? And these three college guys says, well, she's so old. I know, Jennifer Lopez is old. Now, if you're thinking Betty White, I'm thinking, okay, she's old. But what did she look like? What did he look like? Look in your Bibles, Genesis 2, verse 20. We find out about the creation of man and woman. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Sometimes people will say, well, why was man created first and then woman? You ever wondered that? You know, man was created and then woman came after. And there's a tons of different theories on this. Interestingly, female Bible scholars explain it this way. So when God created man, he looked at him and said, you know, I can do better. <clears throat> but male scholars will say this. I know why God created woman last. He didn't want her giving advice all the way through creation. Some male scholars and some female scholars say these things. But don't you know, seriously, Adam's heart, when he saw a woman, what was he thinking? Thank you, God. This, this creation, just for him, this perfect complement, this woman that was designed by God just to be for Adam. And I think it's no accident that after creating this man and woman, every day, you remember, God said, it is good. And do you remember what he said after this? It's very good. It's very good. Genesis 1, 31. Now in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, God told Adam, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you, should, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you, must, you will surely die. So we get this picture of, of what the garden was like. God created the setting that was perfect. And we don't know how long this perfection lasted. Was it a couple of hours? Was it a couple of days? A couple of weeks? A couple of months? We don't really have the time frame here. In theory, they could have continued to eat of the tree of life and not eaten of the forbidden fruit and had this perfect harmony with God and each other. Think about that. One rule, just one ground rule, one commandment, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we find... What happens is the cycle that started then continues to this day. And that brings us to the second point. God creates and it's all good, but man sins and everything falls apart. 
In Genesis chapter 3, when we turn the page, you go to the next chapter, we discover the reason for all the chaos. And this is such an important part of the story. Even at the beginning, we discover in these early pages why the world is so messed up today. Genesis chapter 3 recounts the day when the struggle between good and evil on this earth began. And it's a pivotal moment in the story of all, all of lifetime. Because God introduces us to the antagonist, the evil one. Remember, Jesus would describe him in John 10.10 as the thief who comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's how Jesus described him. That's his mission. That's why he exists. So here in Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 1. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? I want to point out, some of Satan's tactics. I put them on the screen if you're filling the blanks because I think he uses the same ones today. The first thing Satan does is he questions. He questions God's word. He says to Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Where God put a period, Satan just comes along and puts a question mark. But then secondly, Satan denies the word of God. In verse 4, he says, you will not surely die. And then thirdly, he reverses God's word. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan is the father of lies. And we see here in the opening pages, and Eve buys the lie. Look in verse six of chapter three. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Eve eats the fruit. And from that moment on, the world will never be the same. Verse 6, it goes on. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, I think we need to understand this. Eve shouldn't have eaten it. She should not have taken that step. But at the same time, I, I have to say, Adam should have protected his wife. Adam shouldn't have eaten it either. Sometimes we get into the blame game here because she went first in, in, in succumbing to the temptation. But both of them gave in. Look in verse 7. I think it's very interesting. And the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You know, up to this point, up to now, they're living in this perfect garden, this perfect creation, this perfect harmony, this, this innocence. They're completely uninhibited. And, and now, because of their sin, they felt guilt and they felt shame. And the first thing they wanted to do was to cover to hide themselves. Sin causes everything to fall apart. So again, right off the bat, we see here this earthly dilemma that begs for a heavenly solution. But there's something about this interchange between Adam and Eve and this serpent, Satan himself, that just makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? I mean, we, we read through this and it makes us squirm. And I think the reason why Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but maybe you're in the same boat as me and we see ourselves here. Maybe there's a part of us to say, you know, if I were in their shoes, but they weren't wearing shoes, were they? If I were Adam, if I were Eve, I've just had one rule. I think I could have done that. How hard would that have been? I think I would have been able to say no. We might say that, but I think down deep. In our heart, we know we're just like them. Maybe not as soon. Maybe we would have waited another day, another hour. But we would have given in just like them. 
You see, in Genesis, it's not just Adam and Eve who sin. It doesn't stop there. That same sin problems raises its ugly head in their children. And we see this in these opening chapters as you read through it. It became a problem. It didn't just stop with them. When Cain and Abel became adults, they brought a gift to God, an offering to Him. Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God. Cain's was not. I read through this text several times asking questions. What I found is the text doesn't give us details. Why was it unacceptable? How, how did Cain know it wasn't acceptable? What exactly was said? How was this communicated from God to Cain? In the New Testament, you've often heard the statement that if you understand the Old Testament, if you study the Old Testament, you'll be better able to appreciate the New. This is one of those times. In, in Hebrews 11.4, it says, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. But back in our text, in Genesis 4, verse 5 and 7, it says, So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. We know this story. Even if you didn't read the text, you know this story. You know what happens next. Cain took his brother Abel out in the field and murdered him. And the lesson just again, early on, unrepentant sin can cause us to be so self-absorbed, so deluded that we will do the most vile things. Even someone who knows better. And life goes on throughout these chapters of Genesis and it doesn't get any better. So again, what's the heavenly solution to this earthly dilemma? I mean, we all sin, we all mess up and we need help. We need we need help from God. We talked about this last week, about the lower story that's taking place on earth, the six-foot story, you know, the day-to-day kind of living. And we kind of see that happening here, but we also see the upper story, that God intervenes. God wants to help. If you turn the page, turn the chapter, you get into chapter 6, there's a story about Noah and the flood. I mean, it got really bad. Look there in chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. That's pretty bad. And the next verse is heartbreaking, but it also is a window into God's heart. Verse 6, The Lord was grieved that He had made man on the earth and His heart was filled with pain. God was so upset, so put out with this human propensity, this choice to do evil. The desire was just overtaking them. But he found this righteous man named Noah. And he told him to build an ark. The ark was to be, if you take the measurements and try to put it in our mind, as one author said, you've heard this before, it's like one and a half football fields long. This is no small undertaking. It took him years and years for Noah to build it. And in addition to that, Noah and his family got in the in it. God helps them get the animals in it. God brought the rain for 40 days and 40 nights. It flooded the entire earth. If you read the details there, the water remained for 150 days total, and then it began to recede. But they remained in the ark for well over a year. You know, sometimes we just pull one thing out and we think all we remember is the 40 days and 40 nights, but it was a much longer undertaking years in the building and then well over a year just days over a year 
to be in this ark. But as a result of it, God destroyed the world. And if you think about that, what that meant, I mean, sin had run rampant. People right after another made wrong decisions. What's the purpose? Why does he do all of this? Well, there was a purpose. This was the upper story coming down to the lower story. This is giving mankind another start. But here's what we also see. We can't be too excited about just the story of the ark because again, you turn the page, you go to the next paragraph, we learn about this righteous man, Noah, who also has a desire to sin. Even his own drunkenness. And what we see here is that in mankind, there are moments where we might do well and follow God, but even we can't be too full of ourselves and get smug because sin is sin. And it gets us all. This earthly dilemma still begs for a heavenly solution. So while God creates and it's all good, man sins and everything falls apart. The third blank is this. God promises and there is still hope. God promises and there is still hope. Well, Adam and Eve and Cain and Noah have their moments of sin and struggle. In the lower story, God is unfolding the upper story. He's looking ahead. He's making a way. I heard about a landscape artist that would uh, do their, the painting with people watching. And this particular painting was a landscape that was at dusk and it was dark, it was cold. There were mountains in the background. The sun was going down, so the clouds were dark. The snow was in the foreground. The evergreens were, were almost black. <clears throat> and they were bending over because of the wind. But nestled in the corner there by the mountains was this little cabin. And so everything was kind of dark until the painter dipped his brush into the yellowish gold and with one touch of the paintbrush, put light in the window. And there was warmth. There was a fire. There was hope. And it changed the whole picture. And I'm saying this, when, when, you, when you open these first few chapters of this great book that we all love, let's be real about it. It's kind of dark. It's kind of ugly. It's not pretty. But what God does is He shows the reality of it. He dips His brush in promise and He paints a window of hope. But if you're not looking, you may not see it. You might read right over it and not catch it. I put two blanks on your study guide. I want you to see both of these. I see your windows. You might can pick out some others, but at least get these. The first one is Genesis 3.15. This is the first messianic prophecy, the first prediction of Jesus coming, the first time God the Father, in writing the story of mankind, mentions His Son's coming. It takes place after Adam and Eve have their sin. And God says to Satan the serpent, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Bruise might be a better translation there. But sometimes we read that and think, well, what does that mean? And what is he talking about? In other words, maybe to put it in our language, there's going to come a time, Satan, where you're going to do damage to the Son of God. And that happened on Friday. He was bruised, to say the least. He was put to death. But on Sunday, he crushed 
the Son of God crushed Satan forever. A permanent blow. The empty tomb. And so this reference to Jesus in the New Testament goes all the way back to chapter 3. So that's the first window. There's a second hint of hope. And it's right after Adam and Eve sinned. They fell to shame. Remember we just read this. And what did they do? They hid themselves. And they covered themselves. They attempted to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. In Genesis 3.21, write that in the next blank. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. I want you to think about that for a moment. What we have, what I have in my mind, I, I see them because I guess I've seen the pictures as you've seen with the, the fig leaves. And every picture I've seen is there's not much there. Is that the picture you've got? And so what we sometimes, it's not said, but we sometimes assume there's kind of a, a modesty lesson. Like God saw their feeble attempts and said, that's not a covering. Let me show you a covering. But the reality is, we don't know how much the fig leaves covered. We don't know that. All we know is the pictures we've seen. I'm not convinced that it's a modesty lesson. Because there's no hint of that here. So what's going on? I mean, again, think about who they are. Yeah, they realize they were naked, but they're still just the first man and woman. There's nobody else on the planet. So why did they feel that need? I think God goes a step further. When God chooses to put these animal skins over them, and I don't want you to miss this. How did He do that? How did God do that? Did God take an animal and shed its blood? I envision that happening. See, Adam and Eve had never witnessed the death before. They'd never seen an animal even being killed. It's the first time. And so to see this, see, Bible scholars speculate this was the first shedding of blood and what that was doing in this first man and this first woman. And through inspiration, we have it here today is to teach a lesson. When you sin, death comes. Sin brings death. Sin brings death. And we see that from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Again, if you go forward to Hebrews 9, verse 22 in the New Testament, back to the Old Testament law referring, without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness. So what takes place here is God is teaching them this lesson. Sin brings death. Sin brings death. Sin brings death. And here in the garden, after the sin, God is making this visual, this lesson. And He covers Adam and Eve with the skins. This foreshadowing. You've heard that word before. And here it is in Scripture. Man cannot cover his own sin. We can grab fig leaves and, and put them together somehow, but that's not going to cut it. And God makes the point here. What's going to happen eventually, and we see the foreshadowing, it's going to take the Lamb of God, His own Son, who would one day be slaughtered. And we'd have a permanent covering for our transgressions and our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ would cleanse us from our sins. This hope, this window of hope, way back in Genesis, is all about Jesus. And it's the same hope for us. But a lot of time has passed since these early chapters in Genesis. And a lot has happened on this earth since then. 
And I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like the world is drifting further and further away from Him. That sin dominates our society. And we're calling evil good and good evil. And we're just getting confused. And our sin problem that's been on this earth since Genesis continues to spiral downfall, downward. But even so, in the middle of that, God doesn't give up. And through His promise, there's a window of hope. You know, whether you went to church or not, you probably heard the story. You know the story of Noah and the ark. Maybe not all the details, but some of it at least. In the New Testament, there's a reference back to Noah and the ark. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3. It talks about how Noah and his family were actually saved by the floodwaters and what a marvelous event that was. But Peter makes the application in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. And in verse 20, he talks about Noah and the ark. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And in verse 21, he says to all of us, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal from the body of dirt from the body, but the pledge or the response of a good conscience toward God. Do you see the upper story coming down to the lower story? Becoming a part of the big story? And God wants to be a part of your story? God wants to save you. It's been His desire since the day He created mankind. If you've never turned your life over to Jesus Christ, this is the wonderful story of love. It's God's intent from day one to make a way for Him to have a relationship with you. He sent His Son to die, to shed the blood, to cover your sins so that you could have salvation. You could be made a new creation. And as Peter wrote through inspiration about baptism, that's why we have this baptistry behind us. Always have water ready. It was God's plan from day one. This is not a plan B. This is God's great story. If you want to be a part of that story, why don't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you.